morning. Good morning. Um, so today our scripture reading, if you'd like to turn with me, is from Acts fifteen thirty-six uh, to sixteen ten. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing." Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having uh, been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Tronus. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of the Lord. So we're on to Paul's second missionary journey as we work our way through Luke's history uh, in the book of Acts. How the Holy Spirit of God gave birth to Christianity and to the church 2,000 years ago. Uh, we, re- we are really now focusing in Luke's history on the Apostle Paul, who was formerly Saul of Tarsus, the, the Christian hater and church persecutor. Uh, now he's known as Paul. And this is Paul's second major missions journey uh, throughout the uh, Mediterranean world. Luke is recording it at times now as an eyewitness. Uh, Luke is no longer just historically telling us what happened in the early church. Luke is now saying that he was a part of it. Uh, which is probably why Luke is writing this history, because uh, he had some firsthand experiences along with the Apostle Paul. It's noticeable at this point, at the end of Acts chapter 15 and the beginning of Acts chapter 16, you see God's sovereign plan unfold despite Paul's apparent setbacks. I'm convinced that God's progress in our church... God's progress in my life, God's progress in many of your lives as I've come to know you, uh, is just as much due to closed doors as open ones. God's sovereignty unfolds God's plan despite our setbacks, despite our failures and our weaknesses. And I hope you're going to see today that that it, this is how biblical Christianity understands faith in the midst of challenges as we go through life. Faith trusts that God's plans alone are the ones that endure. Not our plans, as good as they may be, as well-intended as they may be. God's plans alone endure. Now, setbacks 
are normative. Setbacks are normal. I'm just going to start and put it right there. You may be dealing with some kind of a setback in your life right now. Maybe not. Maybe you're going through a, a, an easy spell, but maybe your mind is going back to the last big trial you had to face. Setbacks are normative. They're normal. And we see two of them right here that Paul and his companions had to deal with. The first was a conflict. And the second was a geographical change of plans. The first one is a conflict. The dynamic duo breaks up. Barnabas and Paul, they have a breakup. We're told in chapter 15, verse 39, that there was a sharp disagreement. It It was such a sharp disagreement between the two of them, these two companions that had changed part of the world together in the name of Jesus as missionaries, they had such, such a sharp, passionate disagreement about an issue that they parted ways, at least for a while. The disagreement was over John Mark. He's got two names, yeah. The, the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark is also known as John. His mother was Mary uh, when Peter was imprisoned and waiting to be executed by Herod a few chapters before. And all the disciples were gathered in a large house in Jerusalem. That was Mary's house. This is her son. Okay. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was somebody that was very important to Peter. Because Mark's Gospel was likely written from Peter's perspective. Mark was an important person to the Apostle Peter. As you read Paul's letters, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, Philemon verse 24... Turns out that Mark became, later on in his life, a very important and, and, and useful companion to Paul. But at this point, Paul didn't think he should be on the second journey with them. Now, it turns out that Mark, John Mark, is Barnabas's cousin. Paul reveals that in a later letter. Barnabas and John Mark are cousins. We don't know what the nature of the disagreement, we don't know the particulars of the debate. It's... Paul believed that he couldn't trust John Mark because earlier in chapter 15, chapter, yeah, chapter, 15, uh, chapter 13, it turns out that, that Mark deserted them during the first missionary journey. So now Paul is remembering that and Paul is basically saying he's not trustworthy. But we do know that there, there's, there's a family connection here between Barnabas and John Mark. You know, so Luke doesn't tell us anything other than Paul remembered that he had deserted them on their first journey. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't willing to go on another journey with him. Didn't feel he was ready. That's all we know. We don't know if Barnabas had family loyalties uh, to his cousin. Uh, we don't know. We just know that they disagreed. It doesn't say they were in sin. You know, conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Conflict can be a good thing because it points out that there's something important that has to be addressed. People feel, feel passionately about. But what we do know is that they disagreed so strongly uh, that they had to break up their team. They couldn't move forward together. And so Barnabas takes John Mark and heads back to his homeland, the island of Cyprus. Paul takes Silas, commissioned by the church in Antioch, and they head out again to go back to the places they had been to before, Paul had been to before. So it looks like an apparent setback, right? It's like Simon and Garfunkel are not touring together anymore. Oh no, what is going to happen to the early church? You know, it would be better to have them split up than to have a divisive missionary journey. You know, I, I can remember uh, back to our early days. Uh, 
way back in the beginning as a church, um, not everybody was on the same page about how we should move forward. I remember saying to one brother, it would probably be better to have uh, a unified church plan than a divided church plan. Uh, And that was a difficult conversation that we had to have, but God was in it. And I feel this is a difficult point for the early church between Barnabas and Paul. And it had to happen for reasons we don't know to this day. Uh, All we know is that they had to separate. Now, here's another apparent setback. Paul's trip itinerary was changed by the airline without his consent. Okay, Uh, we're told in chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Uh, Geographically, let's just, this is in the back of my Bible. This is an image from the back of my Bible. If you have a Bible, it may be in yours also. It may be hard for you to see. Basically, here's what happens. They go back into the areas that Paul had been on his first missionary journey, right? Southern Galatia. Uh, They go back to see how things are going to support the churches there, the young churches. Then they move on and they want to go into Asia, into the Roman province of Asia. This is is basically Western Asia Minor, Western Turkey. Uh, But it says Jesus said no. There was a closed door. So what's the next thing? Okay, well, let's go to another place we haven't been. Let's go up to Bithynia. This is, this is the northern part of modern-day Turkey, up by the Black Sea. And it says again, the Spirit of God said no. Another closed door. Well, where, where else are they going to go? Well, they just decide to, to go north over to Mysia and down to Troas. And they just kind of park there. God changed their plans for them in the middle of their journey. And, and now they're in Troas. And... I hope you see that the apostles, the Bible is a very honest book. There are no heroes in the Bible. And the people that you may admire, read long enough about them, and you're going to see something that concerns you and bothers you about them. I hope you do. If you're reading the Bible, you should be concerned about, about the people the Bible talks about, except for one, and his perfection. But when we read about the apostles and the leaders of the early church, we see that they were very much human beings. They had conflicts. That they couldn't resolve. The leaders had conflicts. That they couldn't resolve. They had plans that went unrealized. They made mistakes. They endured sickness. And persecution. They endured accidents. And deaths. They weren't always effective. And they didn't always feel like success stories. So I, ho- I want you to see. Because this comes up again and again in the New Testament, in the letters, that um, setbacks are normal. Setbacks in life are normal, and you're going to have to accept that. More than accept setbacks, you are going to have to. If you want to stay awake, you're going to have to expect them. Not only accept setbacks, but expect them. The cool thing is that God, God has a course. God has a course that he charts, that he holds, and then he delivers his servants to their appointed destinations. Not the ones they choose, but the destinations that he has plotted in his course that he has set. 
He charts, he holds that course, and then he delivers his people to his appointed destinations. So while setbacks are normal, God's progress is also normal. As much as you can expect setbacks, if you want to be a Christian and follow Jesus, you can also expect God to make progress. They're not mutually exclusive. They're happening at the same time. Your setbacks, God's progress, happening at the same time, normally. Luke tells us in verse 9 of chapter 16, so now they couldn't go into the province of Asia. They couldn't go up into the province of Bithynia. Now they're in Troas uh, on the eastern side, on the eastern coast of the Aegean Sea, wondering what to do. And Paul one night has a vision. And Luke tells us what it's about. In a vision, um, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia was a province, a Roman province, but it's northern Greece. I'll go back to a map. Macedonia is northern Greece. These are the stomping grounds of Alexander the Great. That, that was the region of the seat of that ancient kingdom of Alexander's. And it's across the Aegean Sea. So from our perspective, God closes a door for them to continue to work in Asia. And he opens a door to send them across the Aegean Sea into what we now know as Europe. They didn't look at it that way. You know, they didn't think of, oh, we're leaving Asia and, and going into Europe. But we can certainly see it that way now. Uh, and with our hindsight, we can see that this is a monumental moment for Christianity. Right here in Acts chapter 16, uh, they wanted to go deeper in Asia Minor. Asia Minor. Uh, and that was not the Holy Spirit's will. He sends them into Europe. He sends them right into the heart of Greece. And what we know is that uh, over history, Christianity first blossomed and developed on the European continent. And from Europe... Christianity expanded to Africa and to Asia and overseas to North and South America and to Oceania. For, for, the, for, God, for reasons that God only knows, uh, Christianity took root once, once it left its Palestinian origins. It took root in Europe. And, and this is the transition point right here. This is the step. I'm so glad that uh, Steve Kay uh, showed you some stamps today, and one of them was uh, the American space race, uh, because that's exactly what I thought of when, when, Neil, when Neil Armstrong, now I wasn't around then. You were making fun of old people. I, I wasn't even around when, when that happened. But when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, you remember what he said, some of you, some of you, uh, you young people out there, we're watching it on television, and he said, that's one small step for man. He meant to say, that's one small step for a man. One giant leap for mankind. This, this moment when Paul sees this vision, and they're getting ready to set sail across the Aegean Sea for northern Greece, this is, this is one small step for Paul and Silas and their companions. It is a giant leap for Christianity. And for the plan of God. We also see something else taking place. As God is redirecting Paul's itinerary. On his second missionary journey. We see Paul take on new companions. He brings Silas on board. Who had come from the church in Jerusalem. He meets a young man named Timothy. In Galatia. Who is, is half Jewish. 
half Greek. That is, that is, that is an asset uh, if Paul is going to be on a missionary journey in Greek-speaking cities who are culturally Greek. We also see, and Luke doesn't explain his presence, we just know because Luke is starting to use words like we and us in the story now. We know that somewhere on this second journey, he picked up Luke, the physician, and the first church historian. Uh, so what, what he, he loses Barnabas, and, and he loses John Mark, but he gains Timothy, and he gains Silas and Luke. God is making progress. They're having setbacks, right? But God is making progress. And I want you to consider that for your own life. That while you're experiencing setbacks at the same time, God in ways you cannot possibly conceive of right now is also making progress for you and for us. Now, don't go looking for trouble. Don't say to yourself, well, if I can just really bug somebody and get into a conflict with somebody else, or if I can just step on a shovel uh, and injure myself, God will do good things. Don't go looking for trouble. Don't be divisive just because you know that God works in conflict. Don't go praying to be persecuted. Don't don't act like a punk uh, just because you know uh, that God works when when Christians are picked on and marginalized. No, no. You, You pray, you make your plans the best you can, but then you trust God. Trust that God's plan is unfolding even as you endure your setbacks, and your struggles. The, the preacher who replaced Charles Haddon Spurgeon in that pulpit in London over 100 years ago, his name was A.T. Pearson. This is what he said. Trust God for guidance and rejoice equally in his restraints and constraints. What he meant by that was trust for God to guide you and rejoice in both the open doors And the closed doors. Because as we see from Paul's experience, God makes his progression not only through your success stories, but also through your failures, through your miscalculations. When God closes a door on you, from his perspective, that's not a bad thing. Although it may be bad for you and difficult for you to swallow. So trust God and give thanks for the open doors, yes, but also for the closed doors. Remember years ago when when I just believed I had a bug about planning a church and I thought it came from Jesus. Um, and, and I pursued some options uh, and, and Jesus just sat on me for years. He sat on me and, and I couldn't go anywhere. Um, I had a life-threatening illness I had to deal with two times around. Um, there were things I had to do in the community and the church uh, where my family was living. God wasn't finished with us there yet. And so I had a vision, I had a desire, and then Jesus just sat on me. And I went nowhere, and he closed door after door after door. And I was very discouraged and very frustrated. And I'm sure you've felt that before. You just feel like a big, fat failure because nothing's working, and you're trying hard, and you're praying hard, and Jesus keeps sitting on you. But I want you to see that he's not being cruel. He's doing that because he's doing that out of love. Because maybe like me, you're not ready yet. Maybe he has, or he has something else planned for you. Thought, well, maybe, maybe we should go plant a church on Long Island because that's where I'm from. And it just culturally, that makes sense. Well, that was very obviously a closed door as well. But then a door eventually opened um, uh, because I had learned some lessons. And we as a couple, Becky and I, had learned some lessons that we didn't know earlier. 
we gained some experience that God gave us and another door opened up and it was a door to Westminster. And so we went through that door. And today we praise God not only for one open door, but for many closed doors uh, that we had to walk away from until, until God led us through the open one. Now, for us, that was, that was a discovery in the dark. But for the Spirit of God, he knew exactly what he was doing all the time, just like he does here with Paul and his missionary friends. It was Proverbs 16, 9, where the teacher said, In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. We need a theology as American Christians, and maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you need this too. We need a theology of suffering. We need a theology of suffering that doesn't assume that God is dead or that God is unloving or that God is unreliable just because we suffer setbacks. We're losing, American Christianity is losing a lot of young people. Because they're, being, they're, they're growing up in, in a religion uh, that is married to American culture in such a way that when they fail or when their plans don't succeed, they think God doesn't care about them. James chapter 4. Jesus' biological brother said this to the church. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Americans have a penchant for planning. I think planning is good. We plan all the time in our family. Uh, We plan all the time. As, as a church, don't we? Yeah, we don't always plan, right? My, my wife in the peanut gallery in the front is saying something else anyway. Um, the Bible says a lot about planning responsibly. And, you know, we're Americans and, and some of us have, you, some of you have the type of jobs where you need to use mathematics and science and probability and logistics to, to, to create a plan A. And then a plan B if plan A fails. And then a plan C if plan B fails. That's important. We all appreciate you engineers for doing things like that because that's, that's how we know that planes don't always crash and that the car gets us to where we want because there's a plan A and it has to be executed per, almost perfectly. And there's a plan B and a plan C. And we appreciate that and that's wonderful. But don't any of you for a second think that your planning gives you control. Don't allow planning and being responsible with what God's given you or your wishful thinking about who you want to be when you grow up. Don't let any of it delude you into thinking that you are actually in control, friend. The secular mind, which we are all being influenced by, the secular mind, it sets whatever course it wants to chart. It says, you do whatever you want, you sail, you go to wherever you want, you set, that, you set that course, you chart it, and you go there, and you get there because you're an American, and you're an individual, and you can do whatever you want. You, 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 you set your course, and you go there. The problem with that is, what happens when you succeed? Well, now you have an excuse to be prideful because you have 
You've done it. You've done that. You've made that happen. And that just fills people with pride, uh, thinking that they've done this on their own. Now, here's the other problem. What happens when you fail? Well, now you have no hope. Now you've lost your purpose because your plans haven't succeeded. Now, listen, maybe you're not really a secular type of a person. Maybe maybe you're more of a moralistic, religious type of person. And, And here's the problem with that. The moralistic mind, it presumes that if you prepare... And if you plan well, and if you're really well behaved, God owes you success. You do what you're supposed to do. You obey the Ten Commandments. You study your Bible. You're nice to other people. You don't commit crimes. You put in the hard work and the hard planning, and now God owes it to you. Now, if you succeed and your plans work out, what happens? You develop pride too, don't you? You develop pride because you've done what God asked you to do. And, and God gave you the reward. And you, you earned that because you did what God told you to do. But, but here's what happens with that pride. It also produces an apathy towards people who don't succeed. And it produces an arrogance. Because now you think you're succeeding because you listened to God and they didn't. What happens when you follow that moralistic mindset and you fail? Where were you, God, when I needed you? I did everything you asked me to do, and it amounted to nothing. Maybe you're not real. Maybe you're not good. Maybe you don't care. And you get disillusioned with Christianity and with God or with the church or with Christians. And you jump ship. And now you have no course. What's interesting is the secular mindset and the religious mindset, they both lead to pride. Have you noticed that? It all leads to pride, and pride, that's our original sin. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves. You need a theology of suffering. And your kids need a theology of suffering. So when they, they, when they get older and life hits them hard, they'll be ready for it. And they will know that although life is hard, God is good and God is loving and God accomplishes his purposes. Apparent setbacks. Check this out. What's normal, setbacks are normal. God's progress through our setbacks is also normal. And then listen to this. Our apparent setbacks are actually coordinate points on God's charted map for you. They're not just things that are happening outside of his plan that he lets happen. Your struggles, your tragedies, your mistakes, your conflicts, they are coordinate points designed by God. Don't blame them for your sins and for your bad mistakes and for your bad choices. But what you're going through, the difficulties you're going through, they are coordinated points on God's charted map for you. I don't believe that God just let me suffer loss in my life. I don't, I don't believe that God just permitted, uh, at a distance, uh, allowed me to get sick again and again and to lose people who are close to me. And, and, and to see door after door just get shut. I don't think he just let that happen. I think he planned for those things to happen. Because as those doors closed. And as those tragedies began to sink in. I began to trust him more. And I began to set aside my own plans. As much as I was trying to plan. Began to set them aside as being ultimate. And said well God's plan. God's hidden plan is ultimate. 
And I'm confident of that because I go to Genesis chapter 50 where, where the young man Joseph, who was um, in a bitter conflict with his family, with his older brother, so much that they kidnapped him and they sold him, right? He becomes, he, he becomes victimized by his own family into human trafficking. Uh, and he, he becomes a slave. He eventually becomes a prisoner. He's falsely accused. Years of pr- imprisonment, years of injustice without his family, apart from his homeland. But he began to discover that it all happened because God wanted him at a p- specific place, at a, p- a specific time in history, so that thousands upon thousands of lives in that part of the world would be saved uh, by, by his work in dealing with a regional famine. To the point where he said to his brothers decades later, when he is now one of the most powerful people politically in ancient Egypt, and his brothers, <laughs> they come to him and they basically beg for mercy because he has a lot of power now and they have nothing. And he says he forgives them, but this is what he said to them. Just read the whole story, Genesis 37 to 50. But in Genesis chapter 50, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So you see, people had plans, Joseph's saying, but God had plans. God planned to put him into prison. God planned to have his own family reject him and send him as a slave into Egypt. And after a lot of heartache and a lot of being sat on, Joseph, as an older man, was able to say, you know what? God had a point to all of this. How can we believe that setbacks are part of God's plan? Because I I know we're not all convinced of that. I know not everybody's convinced of that. Let me go into Acts chapter 2. We read this months ago when Peter was preaching Peter's first sermon uh, to the crowds in Jerusalem. Peter was talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's something he said that I don't want you to miss in that amazing sermon. Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Peter said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Right there, we see that the greatest setback was planned by God himself for God himself. Man, if Jesus, if the son of God hanging on a Roman cross doesn't look like a setback, I don't know what does. And yet Peter says it was the very plan of God. And Isaiah said that. Isaiah said that about about the Lord's coming suffering servant. It was the will of God to crush him. It was God's own plan to send his son to the cross. It was God's own plan. God orchestrated that apparent setback. Why? So that our setbacks wouldn't leave us hopeless. So that our setbacks, there's a story beneath them. That God, even through our suffering, is doing a wonderful thing in the world and throughout human history. So we can, by faith, if you're willing to trust that God is in your suffering and directing traffic through your suffering, then you can agree with the Apostle Paul in all that he endured and all that he had suffered. He went through a lot worse than what you see here in this passage. Paul would one day say to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have, didn't we read this together earlier today? We have this treasure in jars of clay. 
What does that mean? That God's powerful gospel, God's truth, God's saving message of forgiveness for you, reconciliation with your creator, it's being carried around in jars of clay. You're a cracked pot. And I am a cracked pot. And the only way the light of God is going to shine through you is, is it shines through those cracks. Right? So stop acting like you've got it all together because nobody will see the light of God in that kind of a facade. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. This is where the pride, the Lord just lovingly deals with our pride. Right? You think you're special because your plan's worked out? Hold on. Paul says, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You want the life of God in you. You want its blessings. Amen. But you also have to deal with the death of God in your body. To embrace the resurrection of Jesus, you've got to embrace the crucifixion. And that's just not something you agree to in a Sunday school class or in membership vows. You've got to apply that to every single thing in your life. When you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're discouraged, you've got to share in the sufferings of Christ in very practical ways. And those are the coordinate points on God's chart for you that he's mapped out so that you will learn through suffering that you are just like his son, Jesus, except he hung on that cross for you. And what does that mean? That you are like Jesus. It means you're going to rise from the dead and be whole and complete just like he was too. So faith from a Christian perspective, it trusts that it's God's plans, not ours, that actually endure. That's what allows us to move forward in our lives. Proverbs 19, verse 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So even when you seem, friends, to have lost your way, remember that God has not lost his way. When you feel lost, God has not lost you. And that's where we begin, making any plans. Let's pray. Father, as, as I pray with my friends, of whom I know, like me, have struggled setbacks and discouragements and have wondered, why am I here? What am I doing? God, what are you doing? Help us to remember what you said in your word and what you've done in the past. And we praise you that you have charted a course and that you, by your sovereign plan, are moving us along that course. Father, help us to even see that you are working when we cannot see the point of it in our struggles. Father, we praise you because you show signs of your faithfulness all along the way, all along the way. Thank you for what we have just seen today as people have come forward and said, deep run is my church home. This is where I'm staying. This is where I'm planning myself. Uh, Father, in all of our discouragements and difficulties, that's an encouragement to us. We really don't know exactly what you're doing now, but we trust that you're working. Uh, Give us faith to believe it. Amen.